Thank you so much for joining us on Discover Economics, How Did I Get Here? So just who or what is an economist? There's an economic lens for every topic that you can possibly think of. The economists in our podcast are motivated by a desire to change the world and their belief that better data and better understanding are key to achieving this change. I'm very excited and enthusiastic about learning more about what economics can offer us as a society and what are the options when it comes to careers for young people. It's been an absolute delight to do this series and to learn more, to indulge my nosiness and to get to ask so many questions. The questions I'm hoping you as listeners will also have wanted to ask. So thank you so much for listening. In today's episode, we have Dame Sharon White. Dame Sharon White, DBE, is chair of the John Lewis Partnership, becoming the partnership's sixth chairman in February 2020. Sharon moved from Ofcom, the UK's communications regulator, where she served as chief executive. Before joining Ofcom, Sharon was second permanent secretary at the Treasury, responsible for overseeing the public finances. She also held board level positions at the Ministry of Justice and the Department for International Development, working as an advisor at the Prime Minister's Policy Unit and in Washington, D.C. as a senior economist at the World Bank. Welcome, Sharon. It's lovely to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What we'd love to learn is what were you like at school? Well, first of all, it's great to be part of this. I'm really excited because I'm so passionate about economics. As a school girl, I was I was quite nerdy and quite serious. So my my background is that my parents came from Jamaica as part of the Windrush generation. Um so mm. Of late 50s, early 1960s. Neither of them had really completed school. My mum was at school until she was about 11, my dad until he was about 15 or 16. And so actually just the very fact that I was able to go to school and complete school um, through to 18 was, was sort of transformational in my family. I wouldn't say I was sort of academical as such, but I was just very curious. I loved reading, loved books, quite quite introverted, quite sort of, so, you know, you had some very close friends with quite a small number of friends. And I was just, you know, I sort of remember even when I was, I don't know, this is ridiculous, I was eight or nine and my dad and I used to watch the sort of Oxford and Cambridge boat race every year. And mm. I grew up in East London and so we sort of naturally were closer to Cambridge. And I used to say that, you know, my ambition, I want to go to Cambridge and, you know, I want to God knows what I thought I wanted to study, but but the idea of sort of going to university and and you know studying at a sort of serious place of learning was always mm. something I was super attracted to. So I think if you were at school with me, you'd think um, you'd know who I was. You'd think I was I was quite a popular kid, but I wasn't a very sort of extrovert, outgoing uh, child. I was somebody who was just got on with everybody as I say, quite bookish and and also a little bit sporty. So I used to I used to run a lot and ran for a club. Uh, during my teenage years so I don't know it wouldn't say sort of particularly sort of remarkable I'm sure that's not true but maybe I think it's really difficult for any of us to look back and kind of see it's funny because I do obviously do, we do these interviews a lot and and I'm naturally quite a nosy person so I'm always asking people about their lives and stuff and it's really interesting to me how we see ourselves and the, and like you yes. know, when you speak to people at school about how they see you I recently at the ripe old age of 40 had to do an ADHD assessment and that means finding people who I went to school with mm. to talk about whether I had things like that at school. yeah so interesting I know it's fascinating isn't it but I love that that you and your dad watched the race together I'm I'm close to my dad as well and I think my dad probably left school about a similar age to your dad uh, to do an apprenticeship um, as a mechanic I'm always fascinated by young people especially who have that focus of like you said you there's Cambridge that's where I'm going 
when you're very young. And I suppose as you grew up and, and got a bit older and you were choosing your subject, you started to build a shape of what you would do when you got there. I would say yes and no. So I was some, you know, the, you know, there's some kids at school who know what they want to do sort of profession-wise from a really young age, which yeah. is sort of equally scary, but also quite sort of inspiring. And I was somebody, I, so I was pretty good at most subjects. I liked art and I liked Latin and I liked maths and the, so I was never I sort of did my what was then what were then G, GCEs I guess equivalent yeah. of GCSEs and I'd done quite well across the spread and I just was really thoughtful about what I what I do next and um, I hadn't studied economics at 16 and we had this incredible economics teacher who only I think I can't remember Mr O'Connell but I can't remember now whether he taught just A level but I had a conversation with him. He, he'd also grew up in East London. He'd also gone to Cambridge. And he said, you know, have you thought about economics? And um, I want to do maths. I want to do history. And it was just ended up being, it ended up being a really, really good fit for me because it's, it's, a, it's a really kind of logical, structured way of answering some really real world questions that bug you. Yeah. You know why are some why are some why does why are some countries richer than others? Why you know why is it easier for some people to go on to higher education than others? Yeah. You know how should we fund the national health service? You know how should we fund I guess today's issue social care? Mm. And I just I ended up loving the subject. I mean he was a great teacher, very very quirky, um, an incredibly sort of divergent and broad thinker. In, in the end, stopped teaching and went off into sort of running his own. Uh, business and also because he was on a path where he'd also come he I grew up in Leighton he grew up in Walthamstow very close by you know had gone to Cambridge and thought well he's still quite normal and quite cool and you know <laughs> yeah and so he was quite an he was quite an inspiring figure as as actually a number of my other teachers were but it was the subject that I just it, it just something clicked with me yeah it sounds like he's a good advertisement for Cambridge and that whole widening access thing because I feel like there's a certain you know there's students that are on the pipeline for Cambridge and Oxford and they feel very comfortable about being on that pipeline and there's students that maybe don't and I think having a teacher who's like yeah I went it's fine you can talk to me and uh, that's a really good advertisement. So I think that's true but I think he was also very realistic Mm. role model because all universities, Russell Group, Oxford and Cambridge have obviously made great strides with access. Absolutely. But they're not access, they're still not widely accessible. And certainly, I mean, he had he'd gone, he'd done, he'd done well, but he had not had a, a straightforwardly positive experience. And actually that was also incredibly helpful because when I, mm. you know, I went in the years ago in the mid-1980s, you know, some of the colleges that had only just admitted women. Mm. Um, so when I, you know, I don't know, there were 320, 330 students of economics and there were, who knows, 20, 30 were women, yeah. you know, about, about 10%. And that was favourable compared to some other subjects. Yeah. So, so it was not, you know, it was not a straightforward experience going there, living there, studying there, being part of life there. Parts it- of it I loved and parts yeah. of it were incredibly um, jolting. I imagine did did to come haven't talked to him beforehand because this is something that comes up a lot when we talk about diversity and inclusion. It's not enough to get people through the door; you've got to make them feel like they're part of the room once they get in. And I wonder if speaking to him and, like you said, having a realistic viewpoint of his experience did that help you feel as mentally prepared as you can be 
at that age for that type um, of experience? I guess yes and no. I mean, I mean, I'm like I'm quite a sort of phlegmatic person by just by personality and quite sort of glass half full and optimistic. So I would say to some degree, but nothing nothing is is quite the same as living. And you know, it was amazing, amazing opportunities, amazing opportunities, and breadth, and the I have to say, for me, the freedom of living as an adult with your own money and choices and all of that was fantastic but it was very it was a very different culture from the one I had had grown up in and that's not to say there weren't fantastic people and Mm. you know some very very close friends I made there you know my husband was was there but it was a it was very very untypical Mm. to have had my background and a friend I went up with who's now head of Jesus College and another friend who was a doctor uh, who studied at Churchill. You know, we were, you know, we were three of us who went together from yeah. school, all from ethnic minority backgrounds, all sort of navigated ourselves in slightly, slightly different ways through through those three years. I mean, I imagine that there's also, I mean, not not just at Cambridge necessarily, but something we talk about in the podcast a lot is the advantage. One, to the field of economics, but the advantage of not coming from the standardised background of economists and the the kind of, obviously, the different perspective. And that sounds like a flippant way of talking about it, really, because everyone has different experiences. And I know you've talked a lot about widening access in terms of the class system in the UK, like you know, different class backgrounds, having better access to, to different jobs and, and different parts of the economy. Do you think sort of different yes. backgrounds affect the advantage? you think as, as, as an So yeah. I, I would say, so I would say yes and no. I love this, that you have two <laughs> sides of every question. I, I have two <laughs> sides of every question. So interesting. So neurologically, mm. so the way, the way I think as an economist, I don't think it's actually, and I think it's partly being quite sort of interior and quite reflective. Mm. I don't think it's particularly out of the mainstream. So mm. I spent a long, long time in my career in the treasury. Yep. And in some ways, uh, culturally, I was very, different again from many of the other treasury officials but uh, neurologically the way you think about problems is actually incredibly similar mm. I think what's different is that the probably the sorts of questions that you are perhaps interested in solving and yeah. getting to the root of may be different so for most of my career I mean I've been very lucky but I've, I've worked in areas of the labour market so jobs you know why is it hard for some people to get jobs and to get on and to improve their wages uh, for people who have got it's harder to get work women from some backgrounds um some ethnic minorities etc ex-offenders you know what how do you address those barriers now maybe if I had a different background I would be less sort of drawn to that world um, yeah. so I spent a long time also working in international development and again some are issues why are some countries you know how do you accelerate growth in some countries how do you get countries which start with some disadvantages to grow faster so I think for me it was more, it's more the the problems that I'm interested in solving I suspect are, are, are very reflective of my background but actually how I approach a an issue and the, as I say what I almost call the sort of you know the way in which my mind works or neurologically mm. actually is, I don't think it's particularly I think it's actually pretty pretty mainstream yeah but it's interesting you say that though because I suppose it matters which questions get asked doesn't it it matters yes. which areas get focused yep. yeah I agree choice of, choice of questions incredibly important yeah and and like you said making sure that there's 
there's a wide range of people in the field to make sure those questions are asked. I've got a question that I think most people find challenging. I'm going to I'm going to put it to later, but I want to plant the seed because I want to ask you what you're most proud of. And I think this is going to be particularly difficult for you because there is a wide range of things <laughs> that I imagine come under um, that that umbrella. You've worked for some really fascinating institutions like, you know, the World Bank, like you said, the Department for International Development, Downing Street, and of course, John Lewis, um, which you know has its own unique structure and, and say place mm. in the British mm. consciousness. If you'd known when you were at school that you were going to have these particular experiences and these particular roles, how do you think that would have felt if someone had been able to come and tell you when you're big? I think for everybody, it's a bit scary. It would have been a scary prospect. So I, I don't know, when I was 16, 17, 18, I was probably on my mission to save the world and, you know, go off and, you know, it was a time when, again, this is years ago before many of the people listening to this podcast were probably born, but there's a big famine when I was a teenager in, East, mm. in um, when I was younger in Ethiopia and there's a big sort of charity push um, done by lots of celebrities and, and pop stars called Live Aid. Yes. And so a lot of, when I was growing up, a lot of the, you know, just a lot of, lot of, lot of what was happening in the news was about famine situations and refugee movements and people having, you know, being displaced from their homes. Hmm. So, you know, when I was 17, I would probably wish that I was going to spend the next, you know, 20, 30 years as a refugee worker and, you know, uh, I don't know. Hands you, on. Hands on humanitarian uh, sort of effort. But actually I'm, I'm much better I think at you know sort of having impacts on people through what I would call policy so through decisions Mm. where you where you have broader influence I mean I have to say if you'd probably even said to me three years ago that I was going to go to the John Lewis partnership I would have been you know terrified and I think that's that's the amazing thing about life is that it's full of serendipity and coincidences and happy accidents and opportunities and I guess the thing I have learned about myself as an adult and somebody in the workplace is that I'm definitely probably open to trying really new things than maybe I would have thought when I was younger and at school so if somebody says oh you know do you fancy do you fancy maybe working at the World Bank more of me thinks oh that'll be exciting and you know what the people like and what their values like and than thinking oh my goodness that's you know, too hard or too big a too big a gap to um, to jump over. So yeah, I'm 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 a I, l- I like to take chances. Maybe maybe that's the maybe that's the lesson. <laughs> I mean, and not a bad lesson to learn. I have to say, I love getting older because you just give less of a about. <laughs> you know, like you said, you will take more chances. It's one of the joys. I speak I speak to and mentor young women in the workplace quite a lot, and it's something that I I could say, look, don't worry about getting older. It's amazing. Like if you keep healthy, getting older is the best because yeah. it's such a privilege. Um, it kind of it leads me on actually to, to a question I, I had for a little later, but I listened to a lot of interviews that you've done, especially since um, taking over at John Lewis. And you talk mm. about the importance of John Lewis as a business adapting to change. And it's something yes. that we talk about. Um, and, you know, on a personal level in our careers, you know, adapting is key. You know, we've touched upon that. So I think for parents, sometimes that can be terrifying when you're looking at your child and you think about the future and just be mm. a doctor. They'll always need them, you know, that that mm. kind of thing. And so for students now, they're making their plans and their choices for careers that might, you know, people say there are careers now that won't exist in five mm. or 10 years. Well, I think some of them will exist, but they'll be very different. What advice or reassurance do you think you can give them and, like, and their parents about the process of career change and, and that 
that kind of adaptability? I tend to, I don't know whether it's advice, but I tend to have quite a different perspective. And, mm. you know, my, my kids are teenagers and I can hear from their, some of their friends, they, you know, already thinking about CV writing. I think, oh my goodness, you're only 16. If we're lucky, it's a really long life. Um, you know, particularly if you're, you know, if you're school today, you know, you might be working to your, you know, 60, 70, 80. And that is such an opportunity to try lots of different and new things. I'm personally much less, I would be much less hung up about, you know, what do I need to study at school or university? And I'd really focus on, well, what are the things that you love? You know, what are the things that you love to do that are going to get you really excited and some of those things may be nothing to do with the sort of academic subject matter in front of you they may you know maybe a sport or a hobby or you know youtubing or game but there may be there may be something in your life that you think that's just I love it is there a career that I can make of this or you know you may know yourself really well as an individual so I you know I some of the teenagers I now know, I think, my goodness, you're never going to be able to work in a big institution because actually you want, what you love is autonomy yeah. and freedom. And, you know, you're not going to want to take instructions from, you know, and work your way through a hierarchy. So my encouragement, it's not advice, but my encouragement would be to take the time to really think about what are the things that you love interested in really trying to understand the sort of person you are and, and those things that you bring to work. So if, if I think about myself, you know, as I say, I was a very sort of serious, quite quiet child growing up. Actually, for me, though, that my personality, so I'm not a, you know, I'm not, I'm not a great sort of, you know, director, you know, visionary, but actually the ability to sort of be in a room and listen Mm. and really hear what people are saying and play that back and then take things forward has turned out to be something I love to do, but incredibly important in my career. And I'm keen to get things done and that sort of energy and focus to be quite sort of practical mm. has turned out to be really important. You know, it may not be the, you know, the cleverest or the most expert person in the room, but there are other dimensions mm. that have turned out to be really you know, pretty effective in a, in a workplace. And I think yeah. the whole conversation around careers, it needs to be broader. More like values and skills driven. Like you said, like, what do you value and what are you passionate about? And what, what skills do you bring to the table and do you want to develop? And where might that take Yes, you? I mean, it's, it's partly skills, but it's also what are your personal attributes? What is it about you mm. that you know you're going to, that, that, you know, are you a puzzle solver? You know, do you love puzzles? Do you, you know, are you great with people? You know, are you best solving a puzzle with teams of people bringing different bits to the party or actually are you at your best in a quiet room? And I think we don't talk enough about, uh, I mean, maybe the pandemic's helped because we're all working in sort of slightly different and bonkers ways, but <laughs> yeah, how we're going to be our best at work can be hugely different from how we're classifying success at school and how we are judging our children's success at school. I think that's a really good point. And I know you've probably spoken to parents as well throughout the pandemic, like with homeschooling and the terror of what damage mm, is this yeah. doing? Yeah. And and I, I've said to my sisters with two young children, often I think they're going to be okay because they're going to learn things that we never learned in a different way. And I, my area that I work in is digital skills and I work with people of all ages and all different types of businesses. And, and, and it's that thing of 
when I'm trying to teach someone something that they're terrified of, usually, <laughs> it's that it's exactly what you said. Well, what is the thing that they already do in real life, if you like? Exactly. And then just connect that to what it is they're trying to get to. And that's where you find that people go, oh, right, yeah, well, I'm really good at that when they didn't realize. Sorry. Totally. And and try some things. So, you know, I talk to parents who saying, you know, I'm desperate for my, you know, for my son to be a doctor. And, and I think, well, the great thing is, particularly as we are working more flexibly, is that the, the choice that you make at 18, 20, 25 doesn't define you for the next 30, 40 years. Try, yeah. try, some, try some stuff. That curiosity. I think that's something that I always say I got from my dad as well. Like, I want to know how things work. Like, explain to me how this works. I was listening to your final interview with RTS Cambridge as the head of Ofcom. Oh, yes. Um, and there was a long list in your introduction of your accomplishments and, you know, becoming the first external regulator, BBC, taking on the interim regulation of online harm, um, which uh, I'd love to learn to hear more about. And I know like for students, um, that's a big conversation that I have with um, young people mm. in schools a lot. You know, the review of public service broadcasting and, and you know, the, the tackling of diversity across, you know, the TV work force and again I'm thinking of students listening and if they listen to that interview which I'll, I'll link to um I'll link to the interviews that I've watched in the in the um, description so that they can have a listen as well who knew that studying economics would lead you to all of those things and the other things that you've done and <laughs> um, what do you think has been the most surprising to you the the projects let's say that you found yourself at the head of oh, gosh, part yeah. of yeah yeah I mean firstly maybe just the link the link back to economics I would say to anybody who's sort of listening and interested in the subject mm. is that the great thing that economics brings you is that it gives you a really really clear way of thinking and a really clear way of addressing problems and mm. um, so you know so for most of my career I haven't worked you know I spent a lot of time at the beginning of my career working as a, what I call a proper economist and then essentially I've done jobs which have been broader but where the thinking and the learning of the skills of how you tackle a problem have been have been mm. super helpful I mean, loads of things have been great. I just thought probably that, you know, if somebody, has, as I say, if somebody said that I was going to be at the partnership, that my current mm. job at John Lewis, I probably, before I really knew um, what the partnership was like in our, in our history, which is very much a commercial enterprise that's trying to do social good. So it's, mm. it's, all, it's almost like being at the sort of outer edges of, the, of public service. Yeah. You know, fi- finding myself chairing, um, a business that's that's running department stalls and you know the extraordinary supermarket in Waitrose. I think that's yeah. probably it's probably the biggest surprise. But for me, it goes back to you know what are the things that you're good at or you can help to encourage. And the partnership, a bit like the civil service, a bit like Ofcom. These are large, quite complicated businesses mm. full of amazing people who want to do a great job and want to give back to society in some way all of them will have a particular challenge or you know because the world's moving so quickly to a new task or in the case of the partnership retail is just you know being you know it's it's moving a million miles an hour so the, the issue is always how do you move forward how do you adapt and motivate and bring teams forward who want to do the right thing, but the world is changing. So how do you, how can we all move forward together? Yeah. Which battles to choose, which questions to, to address, which comes back again to sort yeah. of, you know, the thinking as an economist, you can't do 10 things, but what are the two or three things you can do really well? And 
and how do you bring people on side? How do you how do you how do you get everybody to to feel that it's their idea and yeah their vision it. and buy into it and and all of those things become you find become the things which are really important. It's not your job to answer the question. It's your job to bring great people together so they can bring all their great minds and thinking and experiences to take, you know, to problem solve and take things forward. I, I, lo- I love listening to you say that because it, it reflects what I've heard a lot of the guests on the podcast say about the importance of economic thinking in different mm. environments, if you like. Like we talked to Will Page, who was who was oh, yes. an economist yeah. at Spotify, and you know about how really it was that thing you talked about, love music, did economics. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. But that that thing of you said you did more traditional economics roles, and then have moved into the roles you're in now. And what's lovely about that is, like you said, having that background in economics brings that really valuable way of thinking and approaching mm. a problem to different places that yes. you might not expect to find an economist necessarily and that to me is a is a really a close reflection of when we talk about the job you think exists now is going to be different mm. in five or ten years but actually having an economics background means that you can jump into those different places in five or ten years because what you bring is something that is unique and valuable no matter the circumstance I suppose that's it exactly it's um you bring a way of thinking you know I think about you know the business the job I'm in now so we're a, we're a partnership, which means if we make profit um, yeah. and we're doing a bit better, if we make profit, the money goes back to our partners, so the not brilliantly well-paid um, employees. And if we mm. make even more money, we can give more money back to our communities and we can do amazing things. And then as an economist, you, your thinking is, well, gosh, you know, so we're a partnership, but we're in a market, we're in a part of the economy where profits are just declining everywhere because it's more competitive. Amazon's disrupted everybody. Amazon doesn't make money from retail. It, it basically, its job is, to, it has scale, but it makes its, you know, makes profit through its cloud business. So what's the really big issue? The really big issue is that as a partnership, you've got to grow profit outside retail that still allows you to sustain jobs but as a higher margin activity. Now that sounds like a really simple thing to say and a really self-evident thing to say, but actually having that conversation, getting buy-in with your customers, with partners who've grown up in this amazing retail business, but where in 10 years time, you know, we will be less secure Mm -hmm. if we haven't grown things like financial services or housing. And I think what economics brings brilliantly is a really lucid, clear way of synthesizing focusing seeing the really big questions that matter and then helps you to face into them i'm seeing parallels there as well like um we've we've come to a point i think the pandemic has really accelerated this where everyone talks about self-care and how important it is to look mm. inwards and, and what you're describing to me just now is like a, a commercial version of if you don't take care of yourself you can't take care of your family exactly like, and, and I grew up in a, a household where it was the opposite. Like you gave, you worked really hard and, mm. you know, you give, 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 give. And, and what I love about the conversations that are happening now about the changes in the workplace that you, you've touched mm. upon and the changes in business structures is that John Lewis particularly, like you said, at the heart of it, yes, you, you need to make profit. That is at the heart of what you do as a business. But the reason that you make profit is because yes. you're a partnership. Yes. And it's a really interesting way of running a business that I, I suppose it, you've already mentioned that it's 
probably I imagine I would definitely be slightly terrified jumping into that because there aren't there aren't businesses that size in the UK that run that way. Yeah. But the biggest by far in the UK, one of the biggest in the world. Yeah. But it, but it's fascinating. So we have a constitution, yes. you know, which is, I mean, I don't know if you've read it. So well, and it has different elements. So when I say constitution, we have a sort of like a rule book. Yeah. Was it's it written like in a, like the 1920s or something? The, the first, the, the first early version. version, the early yeah. versions, but the most recent is about 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like, if you can imagine you're at school, it's a bit like a school rule book. And the first yeah. rule, which we call principles, so the purpose of the partnership is the happiness of our partners through worthwhile and satisfying work mm-hmm. in a commercially sustainable business. And according to our rule book or our constitution, the partnership's job is to make enough money, mm-hmm. not the most money we can make, but enough money that allows us to do good, to pay people hopefully mm. a decent wage and to, as I say, give back to communities and to um, sort of fulfill our kind of social purpose and social obligations. Mm. And it is this unique, extraordinary mix nexus of a business that's about making money in order to do great things. Yeah. And it's uh, it creates the most sort of enormously powerful, kind, respectful culture. It's, mm. it's extraordinary. It is extraordinary. I mean, I, I, we're a, we're a John Lewis family in my household. Um, and, and, uh, you know, my, my, my mum used to work for the co-op when, um, when she, oh, yes. she was alive and, and that kind of on a much smaller scale at the time. And um, that was starting to be talked about when my mum was working there. And it's interesting as well, talking about the workforce during the pandemic and the changes that need to feel like you're part of something and part of something bigger than yourself and that mm. value you get in work is something I think even if you're not a partner at yes. the John Lewis partnership that I think is important to everyone. And I think so. And increasingly yeah. so. Yeah. I agree. I mean, we sometimes think of ourselves as this sort of the first, you know, purpose-led business. Obviously, as you hmm. say with the co-op, there was a big sort of mutuals movement. But it's fascinating, but also very energizing, very inspiring that so many businesses are talking about, you know, people before profit or planet yeah. before profit. People want to shop with businesses that have got more than a purpose than simply filling bank accounts. You know, people want to work for companies where, again, of course you want a decent wage because everybody wants a decent life, but actually you want, you want something that's more than that. Yeah. And, and you touched upon it talking about your, um, do you say your sons and, and their friends? I, as well, speaking to teenagers, that is front and center for a lot of young people who are about to go into the workplace and young people are already in the workplace. And one of the things I've really enjoyed about interviewing economists on this particular subject about Mm. the labour market is that that's a big question for all economists is how do we make this a little bit more possible for everyone in the economy, not just if you work for Mm. certain organisations. And again, I'm thinking about students listening right now because, like I said, Discover Economics is all about widening access and and feeling like you're you're part of, like you said, the idea and the the thing that gets moved forward. But something I love about Waitrose, especially, and I think John Lewis have done this as well, is you know had idea idea and innovation management programs where all members of staff get to feed in to the big ideas and the big mm-hmm. solutions. And I love that because it makes everyone at every level feel like their their input is valuable. And I think about students listening right now and maybe thinking, this all sounds amazing, but I don't have anything actually that is that valuable to say. And they might not right now, 
I don't want to put too much expectations on a 16 year old, mm-hmm. but equally you might have the most valuable input to an idea. What would you say to them? I mean, everybody obviously has something important to say. I think it's been in an environment, whether that's school or work, where you're encouraged to speak up and then you can see what impact that has. So I think Mm. in my business, we employ lots of 16-year-olds. So in Waitrose, there are lots of, in fact, if you're interested in coming to Waitrose, (laughs) do let me know. Um, You know, you might, as a a Saturday job, so you're at school during the week, maybe you do three or four hours on a Saturday or three or four hours on a a Sunday. You know, you'll have a great idea about, oh, do we stock the right, you know, sort of food? Because you may have a number of customers who come in and say, you know, I wish you had, you know, this brand of bread or jam. Um, And actually that could end up being a huge idea because actually we're we're missing being able to really serve our customers in a particular way. Or you might think the way in which we set up some of our systems that could be inefficient Mm. because you'll have lots of, you'll have lots of great ideas or you, you know, you might be very, you know, much more digitally savvy than some of the people you're working with. And again, have some great ideas about, you know, how we might communicate and really get messages and news to our customers and to other partners. So it won't be that you will be short of great things to say and things which really matter. I think the the, the question is how as a business and how as companies we can really encourage that and how we can take all that amazing, amazing things you've got to say and then demonstrate how it is then helping to shape some of our business decisions or indeed um, saying, well, actually, that was a great idea, but, you know, we've done something similar or we're going in a different direction. So you're still feeling heard, even if the particular idea, it's not the right time or maybe it costs too much. There are some other reasons why it can't be. And understanding what those reasons are. That's exactly. valuable to them as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. So we, you know, we, I, I mean, this is going to sound sort of maybe strange to some listeners, but the partnership has its own sort of equivalent of the House of Commons. So it has its own parliament. So there are councillors. So there are people who are elected and they form a group, about 60, 65 of them. And they debate issues in the partnership, what's going well, what's not going well, how partners are feeling. And then twice a year, I sort of have a session in front of council yeah. and they quiz me for two, you know, two or three hours. It's called holding to accounts. So I'm yeah. held to account for the performance of the partnership, you know, commercially, how much money we're making, how kind we're being to partners. And then they vote as to whether, you know, they have confidence in my continuing as, as chairman over the next six months. So that might be a very particular example, but it's a it's a great example where an individual's voice and what the things they feel are important and what they've got to say kind of gets carried forward. Then there's an elected representative, there's a councillor who then will take their views forward, and then collectively, the partnership. So all of all all the people who work in the partnership are then able to say. Well, actually, Sharon, this is what we think you need to change, and this is what we think you need to fix, and mm. that's going okay. So carry on, carry on doing more of that. Um, so it's, um, you know, as I say, we we have a very very strong history as as a democracy. Yeah. But I think more and more businesses are trying to find ways and excited to find ways, um, to to hear to hear from their workers. Yeah, it's it's so important, and I think as well, it just goes back to that knowing the right question not knowing the right questions to ask but having enough different people in the room who will ask random questions I love what you said about you know having young people in say a supermarket who will feed in an idea and it might not go ahead like you said for various reasons but it's like everyone 
I bet parents and teachers listening have been in a brainstorming Mm. room where you're terrified to put your idea across because you know that it'll get Mm. shot down. Like you have to be in an environment where that is encouraged. And and it's okay to have a lot of terrible ideas (laughs) until Mm. the good ones kind of come out. And I certainly, I I hope that um, students listening understand that please have the confidence to just say those things and get them out there. Mm. And teachers and parents, be kind and listen and kind of encourage and and shape because like you I, I took a note of Mr Mr O'Connell from um from yes. your school and and I as well had some amazing teachers and again it sounds like a cliche but the influence and impact that that has on a young person and their future is immeasurable and and I hope that people teachers and parents listening um can take some of the things and some of the advice that mm-hmm. you've given and experiences you've given and and hopefully use that to lift teenagers who are, I, I always say, I would like to think that when teachers and parents are listening, think of the naughty kids in your class. Think of the nightmare children that you really tear your hair out at. Cause I used to teach FE and I know they exist. <laughs> and actually economics is not out of the realms of possibility for them. Mm-hmm. And if they are like I said, unique thinkers and challenge things. We want them in economics as well. And like maths. Yes. Like maths. <laughs> yes. And like maths. We'll just add that in as an addendum. I know we've run out of time and I'm so sorry that we've run out of time because I could ask you so many more questions. And I'd really, really thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, it's been incredibly useful and valuable. Thank you. That's great. Thank you so much. And that's that for that episode. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to get in touch with any questions, please visit our website, discovereconomics.co.uk, where you'll also find loads of useful resources. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, remember to go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review. Also remember to subscribe through whichever podcast app you're using so that you always get any new episodes as soon as they're published. See you on the next episode. 